So I'd like to ask you, if you would, to open up your Bibles. Uh, if you brought it with you, if you have a smartphone uh, and the Bible app, you can follow along there. We have a Bible app event for this. So on the Version Bible app, what you would do is uh, click the little menu and then look for an event near you and all the notes and scripture will be there as well. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. We're moving through the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking about the kingdom and he's talking about here's how the kingdom looks and this is who you are as members of the kingdom and this is how how reality is as being part of the kingdom. And this is how you live in the kingdom. Uh, it's, a, it's a brilliant piece of literature, the Sermon on the Mount. But more than that, it is God speaking to our hearts and working in our hearts. Um, and so I, I trust that he'll be speaking to you today. You know, if you've ever traveled in the south, particularly when you get off the highway, but even, even when you're on the highway, you'll see these signs and they say, boiled peanuts, boiled peanuts. There's a picture of them on the screen. How many have had bold peanuts? Let's see. Oh, good. Maybe a dozen of us have had those. Yeah. You, you'd be going along just anywhere and uh, in the middle of nowhere, literally, on a two-lane highway, and there's somebody out there with a pickup truck and a boiler, and he's selling bold peanuts right along the highway there. Southerners do that. They like their peanuts boiled. Northerners, we prefer them roasted. And do you ever wonder, how does that happen? How does, like, the people in the north want their peanuts this way, and the people in the south, they want their peanuts that way? And I don't, I don't know, I kind of figured that probably on one sunny day, probably, you know, early in the morning, right, right before church, there's this guy hanging around a Southern Baptist church. He's a leader there. He's talking to his buddies before it's time to go into the building. And he says, you know what my wife did last night? No, what did your wife do last night? She boiled the peanuts. She boiled the peanuts. Yep. Man, them puppies was good. Y'all try her boiled peanuts. And before you knew it, everybody was boiling their peanuts, right? You think, how, how, does, how does that happen? It's a matter of influence. He was a man of influence. He told it, and everyone started doing it. Somebody had to be the first guy to boil those things, right? And he influenced everyone. Influence is powerful. It's as powerful as it is common. I mean, when you look at your life, your faith, your vocation, your hobbies, you can probably think of individuals who influence you in that area. For example, my faith was largely influenced by my parents. Something happened just a few years after I was born that my dad got serious about God. Maybe if you'd seen what a holy terror I was in my youth, you would understand why, right? And he was like, yeah, I I really need to start studying scripture. And I can remember as a child and then as a young teenager and then in my senior year in high school and even in college, dad always went to bed early because he, he got up early. He was a farmer and he got up early. And so I would go up and there would be dad. He'd be in the bedroom and I could look in. And if the pirates were playing, he was listening to a pirates game on the radio. But if they weren't playing, my dad was reading his Bible. He would lay there in bed and just read it before he went to sleep. And that had a profound influence on me and my faith. My hobbies were influenced by a number of people. It was my nephew who got me interested in the Pittsburgh Penguins, which, by the way, I think I should maybe, you know, get even with him for that after what happened this week, right? The Pens were eliminated from the playoffs in the first round by playing one of the worst teams in the NHL. How did that happen, right? But he got me interested, and I remember he said, wow, what do you think of Mario Lemieux, Uncle Steve? And I'm like, what is a Mario Lemieux? I don't even know what that is. And he said, oh, you need to start watching hockey. And I fell in love with the game. He had a profound influence on, on that hobby in my life. My brothers turned my attention toward the outdoors and my interest in hunting and in, and guns and so on comes from them. Laurel got me interested in reading. I'll talk to you more about that later. It was influence. E- even, even my vocation 
was influenced by a human being. You know, as a pastor, you're supposed to say, I've been called by God to be a pastor, and I have. But there were people that influenced me along the way. One of those, it was a guy named Les. Les was the pastor of the Alliance Church that Brian Smeal pastors today. He planted that church. I was in college, and I looked at this young couple, Les and Joy, and I said, I can imagine myself in those shoes. That would be interesting. And granted, there were many things that led me to become a pastor, but Les had an influence on me. Influence, influence, influence. I've lost touch with Pastor Les. I've Googled my fingers off trying to find him, and he does not have a footprint on the internet that I can find. But I just want to say to him, thank you. Thank you for influencing me the way you did. Influence is a very natural part of life. It's a natural part of interacting with one another. Jesus wants us to be intentional about it in the kingdom. And he talks about that in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read verses 13 through 16. Uh, Follow along or listen carefully as I read these four verses. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl and said they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Influence. That's what Jesus is talking about. And sometimes you influence people without even trying to. For example, I happen to notice that my grandson sits exactly the same way, crosses his feet exactly the same way as his dad does. And I pointed out, I said, look, he's sitting just like you are. And and his dad said, yeah, he does that all the time. Now, his dad didn't say to him, hey, buddy, let me show you how to sit so you can sit like daddy sits, right? It's just a natural thing that happened. And sometimes influence is very natural. It's like you don't even try. But other times, influence is something that you're very intentional about. Who are you voting for in the election? The person that asks you that question doesn't really care who you're voting for. He just wants to influence you about who you should be voting for, right? How about this? You're not going to put flavored cream in that coffee, are you? Please tell me you're not going to ruin that good coffee that way. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Yeah, that person is trying to influence you to drink coffee the way he drinks coffee, or else he's just having fun. You probably, uh, well, I'll just tell you, last night, my wife looked at me and she said to me, Steve, you probably ought to think about getting some hedge trimmers and taking them to the inside of your ears. (laughs) She's trying to influence me about what needs to happen. I don't know what happened. When I turned about 45 years old, if I could grow rice in my ears the way I could grow hair, there would be no world hunger, none at all, (laughs) you know? I don't know what happened, right? You might want to think about getting some hedge trimmers, right? Yeah. Have you ever wondered, why is it? Why is it that people want to have influence? What, what's so important about that? There's positive reasons for it, and there's negative ones too. Some people, for them, it's just a matter of having power over other people. Ha, 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 I got you to take your cream without coffee, or vice versa, right? For, for other people, they want to influence you because they want to exercise control. We see that in many environments, right? Sometimes people want to influence you because they want to get you to do the work that they're supposed to be doing. If you have a big brother, you experience that. But there are some positive reasons for influence. The positive reasons that we do it. And I would say that we want to have influence, one reason is because we were created with a purpose in mind. 
and influencing the world around us and even one another is necessary in fulfilling that purpose. You cannot fulfill your purpose that God has in mind for you if you're not influencing those around you. Purpose. You may have seen a pastor friend of mine on uh, social media this week uh, put a post up and he said, does humanity have a purpose? And I really wanted to write on that, comment on that, but I realized he's not talking to me, he's talking to his church, right? The first guy that commented on it wasn't from his church, it was a friend of his. Does humanity have a purpose? And his friend said, bottom line, survival. You know, (laughs) yeah. And for some people that feels like the purpose. But the purpose is bigger than that. I don't think anyone ever dealt with this question more clearly than those uh, old divines, <laughs> those Presbyterians who wrote the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Catechism is a series of questions and answers. It's used as a teaching tool. And the very first question is this, what is the purpose? What is the chief end of humankind? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's the purpose. I don't think you can argue with that from a biblical perspective. I don't think you even need to think about that beyond that because the question then becomes, well, how do we do that? And that's the question you need to think about. How do we live out that purpose of glorifying God and enjoying him forever? And part of the answer to that question would be in the creation story. Genesis chapter one, as creation is is being told there, it says in verse 28 of Adam and Eve, it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and of the birds of the air and every living creature that moves upon the ground. Among other things, God is saying, I'm giving you this planet. It's brand new. It's, it's untouched. It's rugged. It's wild. I want you to act as pioneers and settle this land. I want you to create culture. I want you to create society. I want you to create community. This is part of that purpose of glorifying God and enjoying him forever. At creation, God had in mind that we would influence that which has been created. That is the way of the kingdom. And in Genesis 2, as the scripture unfolds the how was man created part of Genesis 1, you find God saying that it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. And he created Eve. And he created marriage when he did that. And he created family when he did that. He created society. He created culture. He created interaction. He created a new kind of influence. Adam could influence the animals, but he could have a whole different kind of influence when he began to influence those of his own kind, a higher influence. And that's the way of the kingdom. You know, if you think about it, influence is part of interaction Maybe even it's the purpose of interaction. Can you interact with someone without at least potentially influencing them? I would say no. You know, you you could just say to someone, here's what I had for breakfast yesterday. I put some onions in a skillet, fried them up with some butter. I didn't fry them too much. I put an egg on top of that, kind of poked the, the yolk of the egg so that it was kind of mixed together. I sprinkled some fresh mushrooms on top of that. I flipped it over and I put some cheese on top of that and I put it on an English muffin. My mouth is watering. (laughs) Now, I just interacted with you, and I can guarantee you, some of you are thinking, I might do that tomorrow, you know? That sounds like a pretty good idea. Or your coworker says to you, hey, you know where we went on vacation? And pretty soon you find out, 
I kind of want to go on vacation there too. When, when we interact together, we are bound to influence one another. And what we want to do is to sharpen one another. I was talking to Laurel about this uh, sermon as I was putting it together. I really love being able to talk to Laurel about what I'm preaching. She's a, just a wonderful help to me. She is a good influence on me. As, as, as we were talking, she said, do you ever think of how the men in our church have influenced you, Steve? And then she named some of them. And she said, you are a better man because of your interaction with those men in church. Thank you, man. Thank you. I don't think that you set out to, let's make Pastor Steve a better man. Maybe you did. Maybe there's a movement out there that needs to do that. God knows we need to do that, right? Right? No, but they influenced me in a way that my wife says is good. It's part of interaction. It is part of relationship, and it is the way of the kingdom. It, we influence others because Jesus actually calls us to influence. You've probably been told, Keep your faith to yourself. But you probably know if you're a Christian, that's an impossibility if you're going to obey Jesus. You can hear the call to influence in the words that Jesus uses here. In verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. The salt of the earth. He's not saying just any salt. He said the salt of the earth. Now, he's not emphasizing that the salt comes from the earth. We do come from the earth. But Jesus is talking about purpose as he's using these metaphors. And, and, and he, he uses the phrase, you are the salt of the earth, in parallel with the phrase, you are the light of the world. And the light of the world is not from the world, it is for the world. And the salt of the earth is not from the earth, it is for the earth. Jesus is talking about influence. He's talking about the way of the kingdom. Now, scholars like to ask the question, particularly regarding the salt, What is it about salt that Jesus is interested in conveying here? Is it because salt takes away the blandness of something that you're eating, it makes it it taste better, uh, removes a tastelessness, or is it that salt prevents decay? And Ronnie, you can cure meat with salt and it will last a long time. Which does he have in mind? Is salt adding flavor to the world or is it preserving the world? I have a lot of Bible study material. I actually uh, did uh, (laughs) did some looking today, or this past week rather, and between my Logos Bible software and my Word Search Bible software, I have just under 1,200 volumes of Bible uh, tools, commentaries, dictionaries, and things like that. I haven't read many of them at all. <laughs> but they're not the kind of things you sit down and read. They're the kind of things you say, what does Jesus mean here? Does he mean salt preserving or salt flavoring? And, and man, there's a lot of ink spent on that question. And probably one of the best resources basically says this. Regarding whether Jesus is speaking to influence or to purification and preventing decay, it could be either. That's it. I'm like, come on, that's all you got? But I thought about it. You know what? It could be either. What he really wants them to see is the way of the kingdom is a way of influence. And I want you to be people who influence others on my behalf. Salt influences flavor. Whatever it touches, it influences. Light influences, I'm sorry, salt influences purity, whatever it touches. And Jesus is saying, I want you to be influencers. And think about light for a minute. I mean, think about the things that it does. It dispels darkness. It shows the way. 
It illuminates our thinking. It brings understanding. It aids vision. It even can give vision. It exposes wrong thinking and wrong behavior and wrong ideas and wrong worldviews. And it reveals that which is right and righteous. In short, light changes everything it touches. It influences. And in the kingdom, God expects us to be salt and he expects us to be light because he expects us to influence. Influence. It's all about change. You know, when I was younger, I hated reading. I absolutely despised reading. And when I went to the, I went the whole way through high school. I, I told, we have an English teacher in the back row here. I've confessed this sin to him. I don't know about the one that's sitting up here if I confess this sin to you or not, my brother. <laughs> but all the way through high school, I never read one of the books we were supposed to read. What I did is I picked a book that I'd seen a movie about, and then I wrote my book report based on the movie. I'm not advocating that, children. Okay, not advocating that. And then when I was an engineering student at the university, I didn't have to read. It was all math, and I could do math. That'll work for me. Yeah, I mostly did math. But when I started studying for ministry, (laughs) that had to change. I needed to begin to read, and I fought it. Oh, I didn't want to do it. And I can remember one day, my wife just left. I don't know if she knew this was coming. (laughs) I can remember one day in our first department at school, Laurel said to me, and and this is how I remember it. She said, you are quite possibly the least qualified person I can imagine for pastoral ministry. (laughs) You cannot write sermons, Steve, without being a reader. And I was angry. I was angry because she was right. And I didn't want to read. But I started reading. In that same apartment, that was our first year of marriage, In that same apartment, I read to her The Count of Monte Cristo because I was supposed to read that in high school and I happened to still have the book with me. So I said, I'm going to read this. And I read it out loud to her and I, over time, became a reader. We have men's groups in our church that meet together and we read books together and we discuss them. The first time, I should say any time, that a new guy wants to join the group, I'll say, hey, you want to join a group? We have a bunch of guys get together on Saturday morning. We get together for breakfast and we read a book together you know the sentence. I don't read. I'm I'm not a reader. I I don't do any reading. And I say to them, that is what every other guy has said. Because almost every other guy has said. There's a couple guys that are whacked out of their mind and enjoy reading right out of the box. I don't know what's wrong with those guys, right? But every guy, almost every guy says, I don't read. But guess what? They learned to read. Laurel's influence on me has become an influence on those guys. And if I counted correctly, when I added this up this week, Right now, we are reading our 29th book. That's a lot of reading, men. That's a lot of reading. And those are guys who said, I don't read. But God changed that. How? Through influence. And you've got to know, I'm not here to make you a reader. I don't want you to read Huckleberry Finn. That's not what I'm here for. Charles Tremendous Jones once said this. It was his only line. He was quoted as saying this by Ronald Reagan one time, that you... Five years from now, you will be the same person you are today, except for two things, the people you meet and the books you read. And that influenced me in such a profound way, I realized that reading books is a way that God can use to change us. And if we're reading Christian books, which is what us guys read on Saturday mornings, he changes us from the inside out. It's not about learning to read. It's about influencing people for the kingdom. Because influence is what the kingdom is all about. You know, it's easy to lose your influence. It's easy to surrender your influence. And Jesus talks about that. 
He's talking to his followers when he says, you lose the ability to influence when you lose that which makes you you. It's in verse 13. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out, trampled underfoot. You're the salt of the earth. Don't lose that. And the only way I can imagine you might lose that is if you allow other things in your life to crawl in, to seep in, to fill up and to dilute the presence of that salt to the point where it is no longer effective in influence. You allow it to become contaminated and diluted. And it's easier to do that than you might imagine. You can lose kingdom influence when you neglect what God has done in your life. All of us know people that we would say, man, they were so deeply committed to Christ. And now, what happened? I wonder what happened to them. And they lost their influence. They lost their, their walk with Christ. Don't neglect your walk with Christ. The salt, the salt can be diluted. You can lose your Christian influence when you pretend to be someone that you're not. <laughs> Even if you have the right things to say and you know the right way to say them, if you preach something that you don't practice, people will not listen. And the salt has become contaminated. You lose your influence when you become radical and arrogant and unwilling to dialogue and unwilling to hear what others have to say. There's little, little place for that, if none, in the kingdom. That kind of salt seems to be something other than salt. And you won't attract people. If you have that kind of arrogance that doesn't listen and it's just very dogmatic and, and, and presents itself as having all the answers, you won't attract people that you can influence. Instead, you'll attract people like you who are radical, arrogant, and non-listening. That's who they want to be around. On Facebook, you'll be unfollowed. In real life, you'll be unimportant. Wow. Jesus indicates that you lose your influence whenever you distance yourself or disconnect yourself from those that you should influence. In verse 14, he says, you're the light of the world. And he says, you put a light where it can reach what needs to be illuminated. You don't put it under a basket. No, I'm going to let it shine. You You don't put it, you know, a city on a hill can't be hidden. It has to be there. It has to be present. Light has to have a pathway to reach that which is to be illuminated in order to work. It has to be connected. It has to be influenced. So be on your guard against letting your, your heart get out of touch with the hearts of others. And that kind of thing happens when you stop listening. Uh, Stephen Covey, a business guru, says that one of the habits of successful people is to seek to understand and then to be understood. And when you reverse that, you lose influence. If the kingdom, in the kingdom, if you want influence, you're going to have to hear the hearts of others. And you distance yourself from others by being manipulative to them. Did you ever have anyone who was kind of coming beside you and helping you out with something and you thought like, this is so nice of them. I've had this happen in ministry years ago. This is so nice of this older pastor coming along trying to teach me the ropes and helping me out. And then all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, they're trying to give me that job. They don't want to do that. They're just trying to groom me for that position that they hate. Yeah, right? That's manipulative, right? Whenever you're discovered to be doing that, then influence disappears. So what I want you to do today, don't surrender your influence. Instead, hone your influence skill. And it's really simple. First, be who God called you to be, a representative of Christ. By your involvement, work to season this world to make it taste better. I want to just say this. Often I've seen religious people seasoning the world with bitterness. And it's just so ugly. 
And it's so heartbreaking when I do that in the name of Christ. God called you to be an ambassador of the one who in love laid down his life for his friends. Be his ambassador. By your involvement, makes the world a better place. By your involvement, influence people for Christ. Engage them, interact with them, hear them, love them, help them. The former vice president of the Christian Missionary Alliance uh, Church Ministries uh, is a friend of mine. I I spoke to him on the phone this week because I hadn't talked to him in a long time and I thought of him because of what I'm about to tell you here. His name is Dan Wetzel, and Dan visited our church years ago. I was doing an evening service, and in walks the vice president of church ministries, Reverend Dan Wetzel, and I'm like, wow, what what did he hear that I did? I must be in bad trouble, right? (laughs) I said to him, he was sitting right about where you're sitting, Reverend Evelsizer, and I said to him, uh, Dan, do you want to share any words with our congregation? And I can't remember if he came to the pulpit or if he stood where he was. All I remember about that is he said a sentence like this, I am encouraged when I see a church like yours interacting in a community, building bridges instead of building walls. Influence. It's the way of the kingdom. Be who God called you to be, a representative of Christ, who being in very nature God, humbled himself and became a man and humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, in order to connect with us, to redeem us, That's who you want to represent. And when you do, you have influence, the kingdom way. And let your life shine. Live your life so that people see God. I remember a professor I had when I was studying for ministry, uh, Dr. McGraw. He was uh, teaching a class on Christian and Missionary Alliance distinctives. And he he said something about Dr. Simpson, who was the Presbyterian pastor who founded our movement. He, He said something about him that, that Dr. Simpson said that when you encounter Christ in a way where he really begins to live and is active in your life and experience that sanctification event in your life, it, it would be as though as you're walking down State Street in your hometown and someone sees you from across the street walking or even up close, they might remark, there goes Jesus. Now, that never really happens. How cool would it be if it did happen? But you get the point that Dr. Simpson is making. That if you're going to be light to the world, then you're going to have to represent the light of the world, Jesus. And he says, you are the light of the world. Shine. Influence. It's the way of the kingdom. My friend Bert is 89 years old. I met him probably a decade or so, a little over a decade when he and his wife walked into Kerwinsville Alliance Church. They lived out of state, but because Bert grew up in Kerwinsville, he was back for a visit. As I got to know him, I asked him about his story because I went to listen. (laughs) I asked him about his story, and, and he told me about his life. He said, I grew up in Kerwinsville, and without any sense of bitterness, Bert said, my home life was not a good thing. I was a kid that had a bad home life. And as a little boy, I wandered into Kerwinsville Alliance Church when it met uptown. And that church, those men and those women showed me love. And they made me one of their own. And they introduced me to Jesus and told me he loved me. 
And they taught me their songs. And they taught me to follow Jesus. And they taught me to love Jesus. And they taught me to share Jesus. He said, when I graduated from high school, I went to a college, a Christian college in the state of Indiana. And when he graduated from that college, Bert did pretty well for himself. Throughout the past decade or so, Bert has called me a number of times. Pastor Steve, um, how can I help you minister there in Kerbinsville? Particularly with children, because that church ministered to me when I was a child. And he would share ministries, ministry ideas, and then he would send a check to Kerbinsville Alliance and say, there, I'm paying for it, just do it. Pastor Steve, I, I see you're doing super VBS. What is that? Do you think you'd have more kids if you had food? Can I buy food and you can feed more kids that way? Can we do that? All right, the check's in the mail. <laughs> and he'd encourage us and he would send us some money. The most significant call I ever received from Bert was not when he was wanting to help us, but when he was wanting me to help him. He called me. I remember where I was. I was in Allegheny General Hospital on the north side of Pittsburgh. I was in there because someone in our church family was having surgery there. Sitting in the waiting room, my phone rings. I see it's Bert. I get up and I walk out into the hallway to talk to Bert. How you doing, Bert? Pastor, my wife just died. I said, oh, Bert, I'm so sorry. And we cried together and we prayed together as I stood in that hospital and he stood in a hospital in Florida. Think about that for a minute. <laughs> Here's a guy in Florida who has a church of his own and is an active, loved part of that church in Florida. But when a significant crisis of losing his wife of 70 years comes, he calls a pastor at Kerwinsville Alliance Church. He calls a pastor that's never been his pastor. He calls a pastor that he's really only met in person one time. He calls a pastor that he barely knows on the day of his wife's death while he's still in the hospital. He calls me. You know why? There's only one reason for that. Because in the 1940s, some men and women of Kerwinsville Alliance Church, when we met uptown, made it their business to be salt and light in a little boy's life. And that moment of crisis brought him right back to that influence that he experienced. Who do you know that you should influence? I want to pray that God would show you that always because it is a way of the kingdom. And I want to pray that you would never lose your influence, but always live it. So if you're comfortable doing so, let's stand and we'll pray. Let's bow our hearts together. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for stories like that of Bert because they inspire us. We are thankful for changes that have come into our life by people who have influenced us because that blesses us, it honors you. We are thankful, Jesus, that you call us to be salt and light. What a boring faith this would be if we had to keep it to ourselves. What a foolish thing this would be if it was just about getting our insurance paid so we can get into heaven when that time comes. What a beautiful thing this is to think that you call us your friends, that you clue us into what you are doing, and that you involve us in influencing others in a way that will not just last for 
a decade or a lifetime, but will last into eternity. I pray two things. That you will show us opportunities to influence others and that we would do them. Because we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. May our light so shine before others that they would see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.